Hey everyone, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. I am your host, Zach, and across the internet is my co-host, Micah. How's it going, guys? And we have a guest uh, in the digital studio today. We have our good friend, Devin. Hey, everyone. Devin has been a consistent player in a couple of my campaigns, and lately he has had the opportunity to run his first game up there in Kansas City. So we thought he sounds like a great person to get on the podcast and to hear how that experience was for him. So, Devin, what was the overall what's your overall general feel of your first DM experience? It went well. I learned a lot. <laughs> is the best way to put it. <laughs> there was a pause. I made many mistakes. There were pl- there were plenty of opportunities for learning. We'll put it that way. Yeah, that but, is a very good way to put it. We all start there. I, I say one thing I've heard is you know fun trumps rules trumps anything. So everyone who participated have fun for the theme of my first session unfortunately no one died because they were supposed to but like i said i can learn <laughs> later and fix that so what uh, was the you theme can, you can fix nobody dying this sounds like you're already starting off on the chaotic evil side of the spectrum maybe so this was this past weekend and i i had some ideas and i just was still feeling the halloween theme so i went with a haunted house mm. and Every room had something in it, and I I actually got my idea because I went through the monster manual, like, what am I going to do? And I just saw all the ghosts and undead. I'm like, you guys are going to fight these. This is going to be fun. So that was kind of my launching point for it. So this was now, a homebrew? Yes. Now, you say you just kind of grab some stuff, and there's one in particular that we're going to be discussing with you in our normal kind of episode here what level did your players go through this adventure at they were third level okay all right and everybody and everybody um there were i didn't really put any constraints on anything people made their own characters so it wasn't any pre generated thing so everyone kind of brought their own thing to it i warned them it was halloween themed to like take from that whatever they could be it there's undead or ghosts have some magic but they kind of brought their own idea to it that's cool. So that was going to be one of my questions is, as as a first-time DM, how much say or sway did you have in your players' characters? And that sounds like you just kind of let them have it. For the most part, I did. Um, I, I don't know who I learned this from. Some DM of mine, of which I've had one, uh, I, I sent out a sheet over the group messenger to like, here's what you can expect. Here's your build. Here's your health. Uh, I, gave, I gave some bonus weapons since they're, like, everyone got a plus one something of one type if they wanted it to kind of assist a little bit with not having a story coming into this. Yeah. So you're already both more evil and more generous than me since I think my players... M- I don't know that they have any plus one weapons, at least that they're aware of. My players seem to not want to touch the things that I give them. Do they uh, explode? Uh, no. In fact, they've been doing very well here lately. One of them got himself into a very hairy predicament and came out completely fine. Right. Uh, so uh, getting back to your game, how, how many people in your group 
had played before. Did you like, was anybody brand new? I know at least one person I thought had played with us before. Right. So I had one who had been a DM. Uh, I've never played with him. He's the guy who kind of wanted this set up. And then we have one guy. Um, do you guys say names? Sure, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ben, who is in the campaign with um, all three of us, he was in there too. And then I had one player who had played Pathfinder before. And I kind of brought him over to D&D. And then one who has never played a tabletop role-playing game, but we played board games all the time, Melody. And Nathan was the Pathfinder gentleman. And so they came in with a little bit of not quite sure how everything worked, but I gave Melody a crash course in building her character and what everything means. And she picked up the necessities for attacking things and not dying. So, But there was a, there was a true blend of the whole range. Also, I... I guess I've got a follow-up question to that. Yep. Uh, you had someone who never really played before, and then someone who came from Pathfinder, which Pathfinder is a whole nother mess to deal with. I mean, that's what I started on as well. I like the game, but it is certainly a lot more convoluted than yes. 5e. So I'm kind of curious to hear both Melody's take on being brand new to the game and then your Pathfinder player's take on coming from a far more complex system into what is the relative simplicity of 5e. For the most part, there wasn't a whole lot of conversation for the differences, but the biggest takeaway I had was they both enjoyed it. Um, Nathan is game to do this every other Sunday from here until eternity, so that's <laughs> good that it feels like I converted him a little bit. So it, it seemed like they both grasped it for the most part. And I, I did guide them a little more like, okay, you do have action, bonus action, movement. This is how your spells work. Nathan was a ranger. It's what he played before. So it's like, okay, shoot things with bows and a couple spells. He picked that up fairly quickly. So I'm not sure of the crossover because I've never really done Pathfinder myself. But he seemed to grasp it pretty quickly. Melody was a cleric. So it took her a second to get spells and spiritual weapon and kind of the balance of what you can do. But for the most part, she picked up pretty well and we all sort of helped out ben was right next to her and so it was like okay make a spell attack roll what's that and ben would kind of like this is the number here and the math so it wasn't too hard for him and we kind of i didn't go easy on them but i made sure they knew what their options were awesome so let me see i've got a couple of specific things that i want to know about i want <laughs> to know and i'll do the opposite of this but what what went way worse than you expected it to go? Way worse. The worst thing of all was time management. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're this not was even playing in convention-created content. Yeah, that. no. Because <laughs> we, we technically had four hours to play, but you know that first hour is everyone getting there, getting settled, eating, and things like that. So we had two and a half, three hours, and... There were every every room had something possibly to do in it, and they cleared out the first floor, and then they just spent so much time fighting a couple things, and it really got bogged down. The one thing that suffered from that the most was the final battle against the one monster that we will talk about. It just turned. It wasn't a slog, but like the time dilation just got to me, mm-hmm. and that threw me off the most. I will say, when I first started, that's certainly something that I didn't think of nearly as much as I do now is that combats take forever. They always take longer than you think they will. Even if it's a 
fairly simple creature. I mean, I feel like a lot of combats, especially depending on the mix of people you have with experienced people can go a little bit quicker, but if you've got a decent mix of new people in there, I would say minimum, you're almost looking at an hour for most combats. And is that kind of where you wound up? That that's about right. I kind of did a little number magic behind the scenes to make a couple encounters end up a little bit quicker but the last one uh, 45 minutes to an hour and it was just very simple straightforward combat too that's i i think i would hear i think i hear the collective gasps of probably half of our audience when we're saying oh the combat usually takes an hour i see a lot of comments a lot of posts online of like oh combat should take no more than 15 to 20 minutes per combat and uh, I don't think that always works out that way. And I think especially when you have a whole bunch of players who are at different stages of experience in the game, it, that can that can change the time. It also manager. depends on the mentality of your group as well. I mean, depending on how much you theatrically kind of act out the actions of your your characters and your monsters depending on how much time people spend making in jokes and off the wall comments about what is not actually going on with the game i mean all those things kind of begin adding up to dilute a combat experience that otherwise might have gone by in 15 minutes 20 minutes or so and and that is definitely something that happened because this was um to give the setting this was in a bar up here in kansas city and they're doing a game night and a D night kind of a thing so there were one two three four five six of us playing me included and so some of us knew each other and others didn't so they, they, there was the jokes and cross chatter and uh distraction so definitely a thing so the the flip side of that question then is what went way better than you something that you were worried about that actually became a non-issue uh, something I was worried about. Everyone got really into kind of like the story and the things that were going on around them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no one who was just like rolling numbers just to destroy something. They're, they were kind of diving into the puzzle that I put set before them. Awesome. So you mentioned that your haunted house had a story to it a couple times. What For your first adventure, your first outing as a DM, what was kind of the underlying puzzle that they had to uncover because you mentioned earlier that they were all supposed to die and it did not happen (laughs) yeah well so i know that oh was i i hear people say no plan survives meeting with the enemy and so and this is kind of open-ended i didn't want it to be a railroad of go to room checkbox defeat monster and i wanted to give some a bit of choice. So I actually set up three different ways for it to go through. It was your standard, oh, you are brave heroes, survive the haunted house for a night and you will be rewarded. But oh, wait, it's being controlled by someone in the dark. You don't know, shadowy figure. Um, so they either could have met the um, the shadowy figure somehow and defeated him, just surviving until daybreak. And then there was a, a third, kind of like a secondary boss monster that they could have fought. And that was the actual big bad guy that would be the hardest one of all so either one of those would have worked they didn't end up meeting any of the bosses they just uh, ended up surviving the night the the true ending was not uncovered correct and i afterwards during like the debrief i told him a little bit about what could have happened but never 
names or anything about where to find stuff because I can hold onto this as a one shot for next Halloween or something. And I kind of want to turn it into add some more scenarios. But now that I know how things can progress, make it so that way only one set of things need to be completed based on what they're doing and kind of shrink what can happen in the rooms. That way not each room is something special and they spend less time wandering around. Well, the other thing this sounds like to me is if this is a persistent group, it sounds to me like the big bad has some rooms that needs to restock and it could always pop up down the road. Yes, definitely. So here I've got another got another interesting tidbit. I'm curious. So there's there's you mentioned the monster manual. So you're you're prepping and then you're sitting at the table. I'm curious. I'm always curious to know new dm did you did you have the monster manual did you have the d the dungeon master's guide did you just have the player's handbook how did you what were your resources for this game so technically i had access to all of them because i've read through the player's handbook being a player i've in some spare time over the past few months before this was even a thing i've read through the dungeon master's guide because i've been wanting to dm for a while and then uh, max the guy who set all this up he has he had all the books and so actually sitting there with a book in hand, flipping through the monster manual, is a lot different than reading it online or scrolling through a list of names, but actually seeing that picture there was really neat. And so that was what I had available to me. And I went ahead and wrote down all the list of monsters. I got screen captures for all their stat blocks and put them into a OneNote. So <laughs> I had all that there. So I didn't have to flip through a book and like, oh shoot, what page is this on? Uh, I put everything into an electronic form somehow to make it easier. So you did a lot of prep work then for this. I I did. I know one of the big things is don't over prep because things change. But I'm like, okay, if I can just do a quick search on monster, here's the three basic things I need to know about the overall story and two characters I had that they might run into. That's as much as I wrote down. To me, it still sounds like you did a reasonably healthy amount of prep. I will say I don't even bother trying to come up with the outcomes my players will go for when I do these things kind of like you had your stay the night defeat the figure in the shadows or defeat the secret boss I just assume that they're going to smash the entire building down and there won't be a haunted house when they're done so I don't bother uh, even doing quite that but it sounds like I would say that you did a fairly healthy amount of prep what you don't want to do is get to the point where you sit down at the table the day of the game, you've done zero prep, and you just go, all right, I'm going to make up some numbers in my head, and they're fighting those numbers with a skin that I place over it. Because that's how I typically do my monsters. (laughs) Or the flip side, which is just, you know, you've written out every line of dialogue possible uh, and and every action that you think they could possibly conceive of. So it's really, I mean... I feel like, especially when you're doing a one shot, there is a lot of prep work that you have to, that you have to do for that one game. I think typically when you're doing a campaign, you can get away with like half hour, forty five minutes worth of prep because you already know the story, you've already had the characters introduced X Y Z, everything kind of is already in place. But when you're doing a one shot, you have to build a world and a concise story all for one moment. So you probably do have, I would say, probably a healthy amount is. Anywhere from two to four hours for an evening's game would, I would see that as reasonable. Yeah, it it was about the four hour mark, possibly five, just because of um, all the extra copying and pasting of things I had to look up online and then put into my own document. If I would have just left it to an online search, that would have cut out at least an hour. But 
Sure. But it's nice to have it handy. I mean, that's that's the one downside of going somewhere else to play the game. I mean, you do need to have a few more notes and stuff prepared ahead of time than what you can get away with if you're playing on the computer like we typically do, because you've already got everything kind of right there. It's also the main drawback, which not much of a drawback, because I, I think in-person games are, by and large, the better experience but it's the drawback of playing in person because there's definitely a lot more physical materials that you need to keep track of speaking of physical materials talk to me about did you have a map did you have minis did you actually like what did all the physical representation of the game look like so I did have a map. I went on the Dungeon Masters Guild and found an abandoned house for sale. I spent two bucks nice. on a PDF. Good job. Yeah, I thank you. Uh, I went into I think I went into Word and like because it was all piecemeal, so I kind of put everything on single pages, made sure inches were inches for blocks, and I printed it out, um, cut them up, and then when I got there, I got some tape and I had post-its for covering up the ne- the rooms that they haven't seen yet, kind of thing. <laughs> So I did have a map. I really wanted that. And then as far as miniatures go, no one had any. Well, Ben has a 3D printer. He printed off his own little halfling with bagpipes. So that was fun. But I um, I have a couple zombie games, uh, Zombicide and uh, Last Night on Earth. And I took those figurines because Zombicide, the, uh, the players are color coordinated. So everyone got to choose a color for this. Like It makes it easier to see rather than just mm-hmm. the bland gray ones. Um, so I did have that. As far as... I didn't have anything for monsters just because they didn't run into the monsters I had figurines for. So those, I was just dice. Like, yeah. oh, hey, here's a, here's, a, here's a thing. Yeah, that's a DM staple at, I feel like, most conventions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a very reasonable... I like that you printed out a map. I think that, that that's a good way to have a visual representation. And it if you have a map like that, then I think it reduces the need for minis because minis are just to help you get immersed. If you have the map, that helps in a different way. So, I, I Well, like and that. I like the extra mile there with the post-its. I mean, I, I've seen it done before. It's one of the, I feel like, better ways people have kind of kept some secrets from players as they explore. But it, as much as everyone I know does a good job about keeping outside information out of their in-game decisions when you can see the entire map it's hard not to let that influence where you want to go or what you want to do so for a haunted house one shot that you did especially with this being your first time dming to have the mentality already in place to kind of keep some of that information covered up i like yeah it actually um added to the lore that I didn't know was there because um, one of our players, Ben, is an artist, and so he started drawing skeletons on some of the post-its and <laughs> labeling some rooms that definitely weren't um, PG-13, but it, it added to the fun, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's see. I had a few more questions for you. Talk to me about... So, this is... I, I, I say one of the f- few times, and I only say that... I, it's definitely the first time you've been running the game. So you had, you had a DM screen in front of you or you had something in front of you to kind of hide some of your stuff from your players, I assume? Uh, yeah, I did have a DM screen, the, the standard one that comes with like the starter pack and everything, I believe, is what it was. Again, the, uh, the actual physical tools were Max's, but he let me uh, use those. I still have the books uh, to prep for next time. Cool. So 
my question would be, so this is your first opportunity to have your dice rolled behind a screen. So did you roll your dice behind the screen? And a lady does not kiss and tell, but how many how many fudged dice were there in in your session? I wouldn't say fudged dice so much as I, because uh, I, I will say in prep for this, I did adjust some monster stats and make them do a little less damage because I ended up having more people than I thought I was going to. So that ended up canceling itself out. There was one monster where I should have done the damage in half. So I rolled the full dice and then just realized I should take two away. So that's as much fudging as I did because it was like the very first encounter of the night. I'm like, I don't want to kill someone right now. I want to have them at least participate a little bit, give them, give them some stake in their character before something happens. So, um, but I did roll behind a screen, um, and then after that, everything was um, uh, whatever rolled is whatever rolled. I want to congratulate you on being absolutely correct. You did not fudge any dice, as the great DM Gandalf Greybeard once said: "A DM never fudges; he rolls precisely what he means to." There you go. <laughs> exactly. So, let's see, I had a follow-up there. Oh, yeah. So, you mentioned that you were trying to kill your party, which I think is a great uh, goal when you're running a haunted house one-shot. So, what do you think happened? Where do you think you, you, you lost that? What, what, what could you have done to make that successful and feel natural? So, the next time I'll do this... Because there, there was a time el- an in-game time element I was mm. using, and so I would kind of use that to do a natural ramp up of like evil growing stronger as the night goes on, and so they can face something to make themselves feel confident, possibly get a little cocky, and then within the last like one to two hours of in-game, that's when you bring out the big baddies, and it's no modifications on the monster. It's like full full damage, full health, do the best you can, and I also in the final encounter somehow got i was using um animated armor like oh there's armor is like a scooby-doo thing like there's armor along the wall Ooh, wonder what's going to happen and so it was in a straight line in a corridor and so there was no good opportunity to like surround anyone mm-hmm. be it uh, the allies surrounding the monsters or the monsters surrounding the allies so everyone was fairly one-on-one and they could hold their own so i didn't have a good way to deliver a finishing blow when it needed to be so what i would say there and just Keep this in your back pocket. If if you have a line of animated armor, make sure you have a little bit of weapon variety. You throw a couple of halberds in there and give some of the armor reach on their weapons instead of what is listed on the sheet. Now they can attack in rows of two instead of one-on-one. And then mm. just let them get into the hallway for a little little bit before they step off their pedestal so you can have a group on either side and suddenly you've got eight attacking every round four on each end of your hallway but even without switching your monster stats and just giving them a different weapon than what is listed in the manual you can kind of change how an encounter feels and some of the tactics you can use against your players yeah i I like that you can do, you can do I mean the classic thing with skeletons is to give them bows and in the same way you can give animated armor a crossbow or something like that and you don't have to do it with all of them but if you say oh these two have crossbows okay now you've you know you get to like Micah said you get to determine what their weapons are and uh, like that and, and then, then also, also I mean little, little tiny, tiny tweaks, tweaks but, but like, like 
Some animated armor is probably a breastplate, and it probably has an AC of like 16. But you could make it so that some of them have a shield, or some of them have plate mail, or whatever. So they're they are hard harder to hit, or they have more hit points. So you can take that animated armor scenario and and make it feel like they're fighting four or five distinctly different creatures, and you're using the same stat block for every single one. And, and that, sometimes it works just as good to run the same thing times five. I like all that. So with that, I, I want to touch on this animated armor because we're going to go ahead and roll this. Uh, into our next episode. But I believe that you had used a uh, Helmed Horror as one of your creatures. That is correct. It ended up being the final fight of the night along with the animated armor. Well, I want to take a look at that. So we are going to, I think, pause here. Is there anything you want to wrap up with, Devin, on your experiences with your first game, what you would tell other people who have been maybe hesitant about diving into DMing, because I think that's the biggest thing we see on like the Facebook group and stuff is people are worried about juggling or spinning too many plates. They they think it's far more difficult than I think really it winds up being. What are your words of wisdom for others who have not yet made the jump into running a game? Those concerns are exactly right, because that's what initially I thought was going to be an issue, but whether it's the prep I had listed on a page or or what I had remembered, getting everything flowing was easy. Um, The hardest part was the prep, but that was only three or four hours. It was fun coming up with a story. It was fun going through all the monsters and be like, ooh, you're nasty. They fought a mimic. I threw a, the classic mimic in there for fun. So it was really it was really cool getting all this going and this was mine and uh, I told everyone, you know, everyone knew it was my first rodeo so no one was judging too harshly so there wasn't anything of embarrassment. Like it was le- at the same time more and less pressure but it was more fun than I thought it was going to be and it's definitely worth it and as, as everyone keeps saying it's a lot easier it's only as much work as you make it so i think you like micah you want to just go ahead and pause it here and then we'll continue into our the second half of this episode next week with uh with going into the helm tour and that is exactly what our intrepid hosts did without any sort of outro so thank you for listening and we will continue right where we left off next week thank you guys mm-hmm.